Thanks for being with us this morning. My name is Jason Valderrama. I'm one of the pastors here at Redemption Church. Grateful to be able to gather and declare God's praise through worship, through teaching and preaching of his word, through communion here in a little bit. So um, if you want to turn with me, we're going to be studying in Acts chapter 21 and 22. And as you're turning there, uh, a couple of things. I was really challenged by this passage this week, just personally challenged, and I think that's a great place to be entering into uh, study of God's Word because it's real, it's relevant, it's relevant to me, it's relevant to us as a church, and hopefully to you individually as well. And, and as I was praying and thinking about this message and thinking about today, uh, my prayer is that you would be challenged, that you'd be encouraged, but that you'd also be challenged to take steps. And what we're going to see in today's passage is a story. We're going to see the story of a a transformation for a man and how he comes to know Jesus and how his life is forever changed. And he's going to walk through and share uh, his story, his testimony of salvation for us. And then we're going to circle back and say, how is that relevant to to you and I today? Uh, One of the things that I think about with respect to uh, sharing your testimony, sharing about uh, how God has changed your heart is I think about eternity, I think about heaven, and I think about how there will be an eternity for us, yes, to worship Jesus, to be in fellowship with Jesus, but also to be in fellowship with one another. We're going to be with God's people together in eternity, and we're going to have the opportunity to hear about what he did in each of our lives, how he saved us, and, and be able to connect those dots, and I think that that's going to be a, um, a glorious endeavor and something that I get really excited about. And what we're going to talk about today has implications for eternity. Because what we're going to see as Paul shares this story, this man Paul, as he shares his story, uh, that he's sharing so that others would come to know Jesus as well. And that has impact on eternity. So a little bit of the context, if you're just joining us, uh, we're marching through the book of Acts verse by verse. And last week, what we saw was Paul, uh, this leader in the early church, was returning back to Jerusalem. He had gone on these missionary journeys. He went on three missionary journeys, to be exact. And, and he went out. He was sharing the gospel. He was planting churches. He was raising up leaders. And the church, the early church, was growing. And what happens is he, uh, by the leading of the Spirit, is uh, directed to go back to Jerusalem. And last week we saw that reunification between the leaders in Jerusalem and Paul. And it was really characterized by humility. It was characterized by love for one another. These guys are back in fellowship together. And there's a lot of things that are, um, that are shared about what happened on his missionary journeys. And it's a, it's a beautiful picture of, of, of them being reunited. And what happens at the end of the passage last week is Paul decides that he's going to take a vow. He's a Jewish man, and he's going to take a vow of purification. And that's so that he can uh, be in the temple. He's, uh, this is part of his tradition, part of, um, uh, part of, part of the process of being, uh, in relationship, in communion with God. So he decides to, to, to take this vow of purification. He does it with four other guys. He does it genuinely. He wants to, to participate in it, but he also does it to show those in the, in the community, uh, the Jewish community that he is a Jew, that he's a follower, and that he uh, values that part of his relationship with God. 
And so what happens when we pick up our passage today is we see this transition. There's this change of the tides. So last week there was humility. There was deference to one another. There were these um, leaders uh, uh, in fellowship together. And then this week, now as we transition into this passage, you're going to see a switch. You're going to see hostility. You're going to see persecution. You're going to see this, this venomous attack on Paul. And so it's really a pretty quick change. And that's where our, our passage picks up today. So if you want to follow along, we'll have the verses up here on the screen. You can follow along with Pew Bible as well. Uh, Acts chapter 21, starting in verse 27. When the seven days of this vow of purification were almost complete, the Jews from Asia, seeing him in the temple, stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on him, crying out, Men of Israel, help! This is the man who is teaching everyone everywhere against the people and the law and this place. They're in the temple. Moreover, he even brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. For they had previously seen Trophimus, the Ephesians, with Paul in the city, and they supposed that Paul had brought Trophimus into the temple. Then all the city was stirred up, and the people ran together. They seized Paul and dragged him out of the temple, and at once the gates were shut. And as they were seeking to kill him... Word came to the tribune of the cohort that all Israel was in confusion. He, the tribune, at once took soldiers and centurions and ran down to them. And when they saw the tribune and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. Then the tribune came up and arrested Paul and ordered him to be bound with two chains. And he inquired of the crowd, of this mob, who he was and what he had done. Some in the crowd were shouting one thing, some another. And as he could not learn... The facts, because of the uproar, he ordered him to be brought into the barracks. And when he came to the steps, he was actually carried, Paul was actually carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the crowd. For the mob of the people followed, crying out, away with him. This is a, uh, this is a tense scene. And just to kind of illustrate the, the tension that is taking place here, I want to I wanna walk through a scenario with you guys. I want to just pretend like as I'm preaching this morning, I'm going to pick on you guys. You guys are good guys, but I'm just going to pick on you. This group of the, of, the, of the sanctuary stands up and goes out into the sanctuary, and we're kind of like, what's going on? That's a little bit weird. And we start to hear some arguments, like voices are raised out in the, out in the foyer. And then... Um, in addition to the voices being raised, we start to hear like tables falling over and like altercations. So we go out there, we're trying to see what's going on. And this group of people is accusing one of our leaders of something that they're, that they haven't done. And not only are they accusing, they're proceeding to, to physically beat him. And it gets so escalated that we have to call the police and the police show up. Like if that happened in church today, like church can be drama, right? But if that happened today, like, that would be crazy. And that's what's happening in our passage. That's, that's kind of the scene. They're in the temple. Paul is there. These Jews from Asia see him, recognize him from his missionary journey in Ephesus, uh, recognize that he is a follower of Christ, start hurling these false accusations at him, stir up this mob. There's a crowd of people, and they start beating him with the intent to kill him. Like, if that was happening in church today, like, that would be an interesting day at church, right? So that's, that's, the, that's the story. And as I read through this, uh, there's really some parallels. But this is not the first time this has happened. Doesn't this sound familiar to Christ's 
interaction with the Jewish leaders when he was in the temple. Falsely accused, beaten, arrested, removed. And the exact same phrase that they end in verse 36 with, uh, yelling at Paul, away with him. That's the same phrase that they were using when, when Jesus, when Christ was in the temple. And they wanted to get rid of him, away with him. So we start to see some parallels. This is kind of like same song, second verse, and it's the same crowd of people. The same heart is obviously still uh, present there. But the thing that's really interesting to me um, is Paul's response. And the thing that I think we should key in on and, and pay attention to is that Paul is not surprised that this is happening. Like, if that was happening to one of us, like, we'd just be saying, like, what's going on? Like, why are these people against me? And, and, and so venomously so. But Paul is not surprised here, and the reason he's not surprised is because he knew this type of opposition. This is not something that is is new to him. It's it's something that he's very familiar with, well acquainted with. And his letter to uh, the Corinthian church in 2 Corinthians, he talks about how five times he was uh, lashed, how three times he was beaten with rods, how he has had stones thrown at him uh, trying to be uh, killed, how he's been shipwrecked and uh, adrift at sea. So he's he's accustomed to suffering. He knew suffering well. And so this is not anything new for him. Also, uh, as the Spirit was prompting Paul to go back to Jerusalem, uh, he knew through that connection with the Lord that there was going to be suffering. He knew that there was going to be hardship that awaited him there. And in fact, the brothers, the, the, the other leaders that were with Paul didn't want him to go because they also knew that suffering was going to await him when he went. But he went nonetheless. And I think that's a really um, helpful encouragement for us that we are uh, going to face opposition. If you, if you love Jesus, if you stand with Christ, you're going to face opposition. And uh, the message of everything is going to be great if you if you know and follow Jesus, you, you all know that that's not true. There's going to be hardship. There's going to be things that are difficult. There's going to be trial that faces us. And as Kyle was sharing with us, in the midst of trial, uh, that's oftentimes where we feel uh, closest with God, where we sense and know his nearness, that he's a very present help in our in our time of need. And so uh, just that encouragement that Paul experienced suffering, Christ experienced suffering, we're going to experience suffering. And the reminder that Jesus gave us in, in John chapter 15, that if you love the world and the things of this world, the world's going to love you. And you're not going to have this. But if you love me and you follow me, the world is going to hate you because they hated me first. And so we have that reminder, we have that context of this is what's going in. Um, this, is going, this is what's going on at the beginning of our story. And the next question that I um, kind of pose to myself and that I want to pose to you guys is, how would you respond if you were that person? If you were experiencing this degree of opposition, if you were discre- um, um, experiencing this degree of, of hostility against you for your, for your faith in Christ, what would your response be? And I think if I'm honest, uh, one of two things comes to my mind. One is I'm thrown in the towel. Like, I'm done. Like, you guys don't want me here? Fine, I don't want to be here. Like, forget you, I'm out. Um, We're going to see that's not Paul's response. And the other response that you might feel like bubbling up inside of you is like, I'm going to wage war. Like, you want to come at me and you you want to treat me this way? I can show you that I can do the same thing. Those are kind of two responses, fleshly responses, but those are two responses that come to mind. How would you respond if you were in Paul's shoes? Let's keep reading and we'll see uh, how this unfolds. 
uh, verse 37, as Paul was about to be brought into the barracks, he said to the tribune, may I say something to you? And the tribune said, do you know Greek? Paul asked him in Greek. The tribune says, are you not the Egyptian then who recently stirred up a revolt and led the 4,000 men of the assassins out into the wilderness? Paul replied, I am a Jew from Tarsus and Cilicia, a citizen of no obscure city. I beg you, permit me to speak to the people. And when he had given him permission, Paul, standing on the steps, motioned with his hands to the people. And when there was a hush, he addressed them in the Hebrew language. So what you see happening here is uh, one of Matt's um, message points from last week was Paul became all things to all men. And what that means, um, what that verse is talking about, is that Paul looked for opportunities to build a bridge, looked for opportunities to relate to who he was talking to, so that he would have the opportunity to then share Christ with whoever he was with. It doesn't mean that he engaged in sinful things or in the things that the world was doing um, in order to, for them to um, agree with him or to see who he was. Uh, it, it, it really just means that he was uh, available and looking for opportunities for relationship and ways to build bridges for the gospel. And that's what you see him doing here. He's speaking in different languages depending on who he's talking to. So when he's talking to this Roman uh, authority, he speaks in Greek. And he uh, then is able to have audience with the, the, the Jewish mob that is, um, that is attacking him. And when he starts talking with them, he switches and he uh, is now talk, speaking in Hebrew. And as they hear that, they recognize, okay, maybe, maybe we got this wrong because this mob was, was what all mobs are. They're confused. They don't really know all of what they're a part of. They just know that they're mad and that they want to come after this guy. But they start to listen. And, uh, I think that, that reinforces that idea that Paul was becoming all things, uh, to all, uh, men. And what I already said is, what that doesn't mean. That doesn't mean that he's engaging in in sinful activity. It doesn't mean he's compromising so that other people will listen to him because we're called to be set apart, right? We're called to be holy. But what it does mean is that he is looking for these opportunities uh, to have a relationship and to build uh, roads for the gospel to be able to go out. And this is what he says. Now he has their attention. The mob is listening to him. And in chapter 22, he says, Brothers and fathers, hear the defense that I now make before you. And when they heard that he was addressing them in the Hebrew language, they became even more quiet. So he's addressing this Jewish mob that's trying to um, kill him. And we know from how he addresses them, brothers and fathers, that it's not only Jewish brothers that are there, that are present, but that it's leaders, the high priests, the council are there as well. He's addressing them all. And that gives us an idea of what he's trying to do. He's trying to use his story that we're going to unpack here today to help them to understand something. And that is going to be one of our main takeaways, that when we share our story, when we take the, the experiences that God has, has brought into our lives and the transformation that he's uh, accomplished in our hearts, that is an amazing tool, an amazing testimony to be able to show other people who God is. And that's exactly what he's going to do. And he's going to do it in three parts. What I'd like to do is unpack each one of those parts um, and make some observations from how he shares his testimony, how he shares his story. And then what we'll do is we'll circle back and say, how does this apply to you and I today? How can we take encouragement from Paul sharing his story? And what is God calling us to do today here in our context? So let's look at verse 3. 
in verse 3, it says, uh, I am a Jew. He's addressing everybody. Born in Tarsus and Cilicia, but brought up in this city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God as all of you are this day. I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women as the high priest and the whole council of elders who are probably there can bear me witness. From them, I received letters to the brothers and I journeyed toward Damascus to take those who were there and bring them in bonds to Jerusalem to be punished. So what Paul is doing here is he's using the the first part of his life as a way to set the stage. He's really starting out uh, before he before he knew Christ, and that is the first part of a uh, of your testimony when you're sharing your story with somebody. We start out with this this uh, picture of what did life look like before I knew Christ? What did it look like before the transformation? What was I thinking? How did I operate? Um, what was what was my motivation for doing things? And and what did it? Where did it leave me? And that's what Paul does to kind of start out the, the, the story. And I think it's so interesting that he pivots to his testimony. Why does he share that? Why would he, why would he go back to this story and why does he want to share that with this group of people? Why doesn't he make a defense and say, hey, I never brought that guy. I never brought that Greek Trophimus into the temple. Why are you guys mad at me? Like he could have, he could have made a defense and said, you know, you're, you're, you're wrong. You falsely accused me. He could have told them what they wanted to hear. He could have just said, you know, I haven't done any of that and, um, and kind of acquiesced and, and, and buckled under the pressure so that he would be off the hook. But he doesn't do that. He pivots to his salvation story. And one of the things, uh, one of the main things that I would want you guys to walk away with today, if nothing else, is that your testimony is one of the most powerful ways that you can share Christ. There are a lot of ways to share Jesus. But I assure you that if you use your testimony, you will see people respond because it's so personal. It's so, it's so captivating. This is what life looked like before Christ. This is what Jesus did. This is how he stepped into my life. This is how he saved me. And this is what life looks like now after following Jesus. And so I would encourage you, um, if nothing else, your testimony is one of the greatest tools by which to share Jesus with people. And he does that. He says, this is what my upbringing was like. This is what it looked like. This is who I studied under. Gamaliel was one of the most uh, well-known scholars and teachers. I studied underneath him. And I was zealous for God, as all of you are today. And I think that verse is so important because what Paul is doing here is he is associating with his audience. What I see when I read that verse is that he cares about the people that he is speaking to. Would you care about the people that were trying to kill you and trying to beat you? Or would you throw in the towel or would you cut and run? Paul still has a heart for and loves the people that are trying to kill him. That is amazing. And the way I know that is because he's saying, you guys are zealous for God. I see who you are. I see what your motivation is, what you're trying to do here. Even though it's, it's to my own detriment, I see what you're doing. And I used to be that. That was me. And he's trying to help them understand that. And he's bringing them along this journey. He's showing them his story. He said, I used to be that. I persecuted the way to the death. Men, women, delivered them to prison. 
Um, I followed what the high priest and the council wanted me to do. I did it so well here in Jerusalem that they sent me out to Damascus to go and do it there too. And I went willingly. I was going to go to Damascus and I was going to round up people there, bring them back to Jerusalem and punish them. And I was headed that direction. And then what happens? Verse 6. As I was on my way and drew near to Damascus, about noon, a great light from heaven suddenly shone around me. And I fell to the ground and I heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Now those who were with me saw the light, but did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. And I said, what shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, rise and go into Damascus, and there you will be told all that is appointed for you to do. And since I could not see because of the brightness of that light, I was led by the hand by those who were with me and came into Damascus. And one Ananias, a devout man, according to the law, well spoken of by all the Jews who lived there, came to me and standing by me said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very hour, I received my sight and saw him. What an amazing transformation story. Like, how can we not read this and just be like, what just happened? Like, he was headed dead set this direction and like, miraculously, God steps in, picks him up, turns him around, and like, saves him. That is, this story is incredible. And what's so interesting about it is that he is physically blinded, and what that does, what that spurs, what that shows, is that he was spiritually blind. And God's desire was that his eyes would be opened, and that he would have his eyes open to who Christ is. God is saying, no more, Paul. No more are you going to be going in this direction. That's not who I created you to be. And God steps in. And what I think as I read through this passage, I, I like to comb through it and look at some of these, some of these little details. Look at this at ver- in verse 6. As I was on my way and drew near to Damascus about noon, a great light from heaven suddenly shone around me. What, at what time of day is the sun the hottest? It's at noon, right? Like the sun is at the highest point at noon. So the sun is, is shining and a light greater than the sun, which we can't even look at without damaging our eyes, shines down and blinds Paul. Like this is miraculous. It shines around him to the point where he is blind and he hears a voice and the voice is asking him, why are you persecuting me? And his response is, I know that this has to be the Lord, but I don't know who the Lord is. He hasn't yet understood who Jesus is. He doesn't know the identity that is found in Christ. And Jesus answers him, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. The other thing that's really interesting, that as Paul is starting to have this revelation, as he's starting to have this this change of heart, this, this old self to new self experience, this stone of heart to stone of flesh experience, this death to life experience, as that's happening... Everybody around him is oblivious. Like, they see the light. They're with him as well. But they're not blinded. They hear the voice, but they don't understand the voice. And what that tells me is that God is God is in the business of saving people, but it's also very personal, and it's a very uh, relational experience. When he saves somebody, he enters into their world and shows himself to that person. And it's a beautiful picture of, of what Jesus does, because Paul doesn't earn this. It's not by his good works that this happened to him. He doesn't deserve it, certainly. He's persecuting to death the way of Christianity. And he's certainly not seeking it. He's walking 
100 miles in the other direction as fast as he can go. And God still enters in and saves, opens his eyes. And as if you look at the top of your page, there's this main idea that I want you to think about, that this is all of us. Paul's story, Paul's testimony parallels our story. We all start out opposed to God. We all start out walking the other direction, not having nothing to do with him. But Jesus wants to open our eyes. And then when he does so, he wants to send us out. He wants to orient us outward. And we're going to see how that happens in Paul's life. After Paul is blinded, he uh, gets up, still going to Damascus, but he can't see. So he's being led by the hand. And when he gets into Damascus, God appoints another person, uh, also a Jew, uh, Ananias, to step in and to proclaim that he's going to receive his sight. So again, you see this miraculous taking place, something that that is not man-centered, that is not accomplished by the work of man, but is solely God's doing. And Ananias says to him, receive your sight. In that very hour, he does, and he sees, and his eyes are opened. And one of the things that stands out to me as I think about this is Paul was an enemy of God. We started out as enemies of God. And that's what Romans 10 verse 5 tells us that, that while we were enemies, Christ died for us. While we were opposed to him, Jesus died for us. And that is part of the, the wonder of salvation, where God takes somebody who doesn't want to have anything to do with him, is opposed to him in every way, and says, I want you, you're mine. And he transforms and he changes that heart. And the, the passage that speaks to this the best, I believe, is in Ezekiel chapter 36. If you have time, just read all of that this week. But I want to highlight verses 26 and 27 to you. This is what's happening to Paul. This is what God uh, is in the business of doing. It says in verse 26, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Jesus has entered in and transformed this man's life. Not because of anything that he did. Not because he was good enough or wanted it or was looking for it or earned it. Because God is gracious and he saves It's not something that we can earn. And I love how Ephesians chapter 2 reminds us of that. It says, this was the free gift of God so that no one can boast. By grace, through faith, God gives us salvation as a free gift. And it's a gift that we see being bestowed upon this man. And as we think through that and read about it, 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 it just naturally draws us back to, how was I saved? What did God do in my life? How did he transform? What were the circumstances surrounding uh, that uh, encounter with Christ? And we'll get to that, but let's look at what happens after uh, Paul is saved, after his eyes are, are opened. In verse 14, Ananias now says to Paul, The God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one, and to hear a voice from his mouth. For you will be a witness for him to everyone of what you have seen and heard. And now why do you wait? Rise, be baptized, wash away your sins, calling on his name. And when I had returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple, I fell into a trance. 
And I saw him saying to me, Jesus saying, make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly because they will not accept your testimony about me. And I said, Lord, they themselves know that in one synagogue after another, I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. And when the blood of Stephen, your witness, was being shed, I myself was standing by and approving and watching over the garments of those who killed him. And he said to me, go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. So Paul finishes sharing his testimony. He's uh, standing there. You have the whole mob that has been listening, kind of hanging on every word, waiting to see what he's going to say. Is he going to recant? What's he going to do? Paul faithfully shares his testimony of what Christ has done in his life. And then what happens, the the group that is there ready to kill him, they all change their minds and they believe in Jesus and everything is amazing. Wait, what does it say? Up to this word, they listened to him. Then they raised their voices and said, away with such a fellow from the earth for he should not be allowed to live. So the, the mob is listening. They're paying attention. They're waiting to see what he's going to say. He shares his testimony. This is what Jesus has done in my life. This is how I was transformed. And they lose it. And they're saying, he needs to die. And I take encouragement from that. And let me tell you why, because I think that's a weird thing to take encouragement from. But I take encouragement from that because it's not up to us what the response of the person is going to be. It doesn't, it, my responsibility is to do what God has called me to do, to share him faithfully. And the response of the people that I share with, that we share with, is in God's hands. He's in the business of changing hearts, but he wants to use us. He's allowed us and given us this privilege of participating in people coming to know Jesus. And when we share, after we've done that, it's up to him. He's the one who goes in and, and, and changes the hearts. And, and sometimes that's not going to happen. And that's what happens here. Paul has shared faithfully. Um, he's done what God has asked him to do. And the response is not favorable. They don't, they don't listen. But I believe God is still in this. And we're going to continue to unpack that next week. What happens after they um, reject what he's telling them. What I'd like to do next is I would like to go back through... Um, this three-part testimony that he shares. I'd like to go back and look at before knowing Christ, the transforming encounter with Christ, and him being oriented now outward and talk about what application that has for you and I. How is this relevant uh, for you and I today? And one of the things that stands out to me is that idea of before knowing Christ, we were in opposition to God. And that is... Uh, found in the fall. You see that in Adam interacting in the garden, Adam and Eve uh, disobeying, taking the fruit, uh, the curse being passed on to all mankind, that all of us um, would make that same decision where we given that opportunity and that everyone starts out in opposition to God. And as you share your testimony with people, I know uh, some of the testimonies here in this room and and for some of you you'd say like i don't ever remember a season not following jesus like my parents uh, trained me in the way of the lord like i've i've followed jesus since i was young and even in that situation i would just encourage you uh, don't leave this part out of your testimony this this element of your testimony of i was opposed to god and and this is what life looked like before christ even if you don't remember it is an opportunity for you to set the stage and an opportunity for you to to share through your story the theology of we all start out opposed to god we all start out in 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 this um um 
heart posture of, I don't want you to be my Lord. I want to be my own Lord. I want to do what I want to do. And he breaks us and he, he, he changes that heart. And it's an opportunity for you to share that. And the other thing that I think is so important from this, um, this first section of sharing his testimony is he so clearly loves and cares for um, his brethren. He wants them to know Jesus. And I just want to encourage you that as you share your testimony with people, as you share your salvation story, don't do it out of a motivation of, I want to have a story to share, or, or I can put another like um, hash mark on my, on my wall. Like We don't share Christ out of uh, compulsion um, or out of guilt. We share Christ out of love. He cares for and loves this audience. Even though they're, they're in, in direct opposition to him, he, he wants them to know Jesus, and his heart is broken for them. And that is the same motivation that we have as we go in to share our story with somebody. We're not trying to win an argument. We're not trying to to start a debate. We're trying to to offer light into a dark place. And that has to come from a a motivation of love. And we can see that in in his approach. He also also really does a good job of associating with them and saying, I know that you guys are zealous. I see your zeal for God. And when you're sharing Christ with somebody Finding a way to build that bridge, finding a way to say, like, I understand who you are. I recognize um, what your motivation is, and I can tell you, and I, and I want to show you in my own life how that's not going to satisfy, how the only thing that's going to satisfy is Jesus and relationship with him. And Paul does a really good job of that, and I think that's something that we can take away and, and store. After sharing uh, what life looked like before knowing Christ, uh, he transitions and he talks to trans- this transforming encounter with Jesus and what's going on in that situation. And, and as I think about that, I just wanted to encourage you guys, like this is something that is miraculous and something that we never, uh, that we can sometimes take for granted, that we can sometimes uh, almost grow callous or accustomed to. Like the God of the universe stepped in and changed the heart. Like as Matt was sharing the story of Gabby, um, this morning and showing that picture of her being baptized, I just started to think of like all of the prayers of her parents leading up to that, all of the, the faithful witness of mentors in her life. Um, the people at Lighthouse are on this trip encouraging her and, and, and asking her to follow Jesus and make a decision for Christ leading up to her, to her uh, deciding and wanting to get baptized. Like that is a beautiful thing. And that's something that only God can do. And to be able to see that and to be able to participate in that, um, and that God would allow us to participate in that is something that is so incredible and something that I think we just can sometimes not even realize the gravity of and realize the gift that we have to be able to, to see that happen and to participate in that. I also love how once Paul is um, reoriented, once he has uh, been saved, what is this new direction that that he is uh, called into? He's called into being a witness of Jesus to everyone that he encounters of what he's seen and heard. And as I think about this church family, uh, an illustration comes to my mind. I think about how, you know, you have the cross here. And we already, we already talked about how when we start out, everybody is in opposition to um, the gospel. Everybody is opposed to God. So we have our back to the cross. And we say to ourselves, I don't want to have anything to do with this. You are not my Lord. I do what I want. And we are walking away from Jesus. And that's what we see happening to Paul. That's what we, we see in our, in our own lives. 
And what happens is God steps in and says, you are mine, no more. This is not what I have for you. And he turns us around and he says to Paul, this is now the direction that I have for you. This is where I want you to go. And church family, I think about this and I want to challenge and encourage you in this, that sometimes we can get stuck or stagnant here. Coming to Jesus is a, is a beautiful thing. It's an amazing thing. It's a miraculous thing. But we can get stuck where we turn and we're facing, but we no longer are following. We're no longer uh, moving towards Jesus. And we no longer are sharing the, the hope of the gospel with the world that so desperately needs it. Jesus said, all authority has been given to me on heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But we can get stuck here and not follow and say, God, where are you sending me? And when you look at at Paul's testimony, and when you look at what God is calling each of us to, He turns us around, but he wants to send us out. He wants us to go. He wants us to share the hope of this transformation that we've experienced. And you see it in Ananias' charge to Paul. He says to him, The God of our fathers appointed you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear a voice from his mouth. For you will be a witness for him to everyone of what you have seen and heard. And now why do you wait? Rise and be baptized. So at this at this time of conversion, Ananias is charging Paul with two things. The first thing he charges him with is baptize. Be baptized. Get baptized, Paul. Wash away your sins by calling on Jesus' name. And if you think about Romans chapter 10, there's an amazing passage that encourages us to that end. What Paul is doing in that section of scripture is actually really relevant to what we're talking about here because in Romans chapter 10, verse 12, he says, there is no distinction between Jew or Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him on whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without somebody preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? What Ananias is doing for Paul here is he's saying two things. One, get baptized. You've believed, get baptized. Call on Jesus for salvation. And um, the baptism is going to be symbolic of representation of, of, of old life, being dead, being gone, and new life coming up. We have a baptism service coming up at the uh, at the lake. Matt was telling us a little bit about it, September 1st. If you've not been baptized and you trust in Jesus, uh, we see here, we see elsewhere in Scripture, it's not something that is salvaic. Baptism isn't going to save you, but it's symbolic and it's important. So it's something that we take very seriously and want to um, engage in and want to celebrate. It's a gift that God has given us. So baptism is really important. And then the second thing Ananias does to him is he sends him out. He says, you're now supposed to go. Go and be a witness of everything that you've seen and heard. And I love that Romans chapter 10 passage because it, it, it calls us to be the ones to go and tell of what we've seen and heard. It calls us preachers. Yes, I'm up here and I get to, I get to preach, but all of us by that definition are preachers. All of us have been called to go out and share the good news of who Christ is. 
And how are people going to know unless we go, unless we tell them? God can use anything to do that, but he's allowed us to participate in that. And that's something that we also see in Paul's declaration. He could have stripped this message uh, as he stands in front of this mob of its power. He could have, he could have uh, taken the offensive parts out and gotten off the hook, right? He could have done that. And instead, he shares his testimony. He shares about what God has done. He shares about where God has called him to the Gentiles, knowing that it's going to make everybody mad. He doesn't back down from the truth. And yes, they don't respond favorably, but he's done what God has told him to do. He doesn't avoid the controversy. He doesn't strip um, the message of its power because it's what God has called him to do. And the same is true for us. In Romans chapter 1, verse 16, it says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God to those who believe. So when we share our ho- the hope of who Jesus is, we can't strip it of the, uh, of the, of the power of the truth. We have, to, we have to be willing to say, this is who Jesus is. This is who, who has saved me. This is what this means. It means that I'm turning from this old way of life and turning towards Christ. It's what that, that song was declaring, the, the cross before me, the world behind me, that I'm willing to say, I want to follow Jesus wherever he calls me to go. And he goes, and he does it. He has a little bit of an argument with God. I don't know if you picked pick that up um, in verse 17. What happens is Paul has, has come to know Jesus. He is, he is saved. And he goes back into Jerusalem, where he um, was trained, where he had spent so much time, where he had persecuted the church. He goes back into Jerusalem after he has met Jesus, and everything about Jerusalem is the same. But as he goes back in, everything is also completely different. Because when he goes back in, now he's a follower of Christ. He's been in the temple so many times before, but this time he enters the temple for the first time as a follower of Jesus. And when he gets into the temple, he falls into a trance, and Jesus meets him and says, Make haste, get out of Jerusalem quickly, because they will not accept your testimony about me. So God calls him in a direction that he doesn't necessarily agree with, and and there's some pushback. And he says, Lord, they themselves, this Jewish mob, know that in one synagogue after another, I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. And when the blood of Stephen, your witness, was being shed, I myself was standing by and approving and watching over the garments of those who killed him. Paul is, is saying, it makes a lot of sense to me that I would have a great testimony and a great witness, and I love my brothers, I want them to know you as well, I should stay here. And I should minister in Jerusalem. And God says to him, Jesus says to him, Go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. And I love how him sharing his testimony right here in Acts brings us back full circle. What happened initially is he was sent out. He was sent out on these missionary journeys. Uh, Christ comes in, enters into his life. He is changed. He is transformed. He's sent out to the Gentiles. He obeys. He goes and does it. He goes on these missionary journeys, uh, sees amazing fruit, uh, churches planted, leaders raised, people saved, and he obeys. And now he's coming full circle. He's coming back into Jerusalem. And he's coming back to witness and to share about what has happened. And we saw that last week in our passage that Matt preached on. After he got back to Jerusalem, he greeted the brothers and he related to them one by one the things that God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. It was a successful ministry because he obeyed. He listened to where God was calling him to go 
and he went and he saw fruit. I love that full circle picture. I also love that picture of we were walking away from Christ. He steps in and changes our heart, orients him to orients us towards himself. And then once he orients us towards himself, there's this question of, God, I think I should go and share um, Christ with these people. But there's also a willingness and an obedience on his part to, to listen to what God has for him and say, God said, no, I don't want you to go there right now. I want you to go here. And then to see the, fr- the fruit and the blessing uh, of that happening is a testimony to, the, to God's grace and to being willing to go where he wants us to go. And I want to encourage you guys in that as well. There may be a, uh, a place that you think makes a lot of sense for you to go and to preach the gospel and to share hope and share Christ. And I don't want to discourage you from that in any way, shape, or form, do. But also, be willing to say, God, where else would you want me to go? It might not make sense. It might not look good on paper. I might not be able to compute. But where do you want me to go? Because listen to this, church family, the same God that saved you, the same God that sovereignly entered in and gave you new life in Christ has sovereignly put people in your life that need to know him. He's connected the dots for us. He's given you new life. He's given you a message of hope to share. And then he's put people around you that need it. And are you going to go? Are you going to say, yes, Lord, I will go. I will go and share. And I will use my testimony, the story of the transformation that you've done in my life to do it. I think of this um, progression and how great a tool it is to minister hope and to minister Christ. And I think about the people in this room and I think about all the stories of, of, of joy, uh, things that we've gotten to celebrate together. I think of all of the stories of pain, um, hardship, loss, gut-wrenching, hard things. And God has allowed all that to happen so that when you share your story, when you share your testimony with somebody, you can point to, this is what things looked like. This is where I was. This is what, this is, this is the reality of life. But God, God stepped in. Jesus stepped in. He gave us new life. He took that heart of stone. He made it a heart of flesh. And He did that work. And He's given me that new life. And He's given me that story to share. And now He's oriented me outward. He said, this is where I want you to go. And if you're feeling here and you're feeling stuck and like, oh, it's hard. Like, that's hard to do. Like, what if they reject me and I don't want to go there? Like, if you're feeling that right now, I understand. I get it. I totally get it. But I also take such encouragement from this passage and seeing um, the early church unfold and seeing how God used um, this obedience and how he went with Paul. He has promised to never leave us or forsake us. He will go with us. He'll be with us to the end of the age. So you don't go it alone, church family. You don't go it alone. He is with you, and you have a church family that is with you. We're called into community, and when we're a community on mission, we're going to see fruit. We're going to see transformation. We're going to see people come to know Christ. And when you share your testimony in this way, this is what life looked like before. This is who Jesus is. This is what life is like now. It's still hard. But when you share that, you're going to have people respond. People are going to come to know Christ in a saving way. And it's a beautiful thing. And I want to read for you, church family, uh, one more time, the charge from Ananias to Paul, but I want to reorient it towards us. I want you to insert your name into this passage. 
in verse 14 of chapter 22, the God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one, and to hear a voice from his mouth. For you will be a witness for him to everyone of what you have seen and heard. Maybe your testimony is not like Paul's, but you have this. You have seen the righteous one and you have heard the message of salvation. He has transformed your heart and now you will be a witness for him to everyone of what you have seen and heard.